The Long Box Crusade presents... Action Film Face-Off. This episode, it's 1984 versus 1987. Two films enter. One film leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. All right, welcome back to Action Film Face Off. This is the show where two random years are selected. My brother brings an action film from one of those random years. I bring an action film from the other random year. Those two films do battle. We use a variety of criteria, and a champion is going to be crowned by the end of the episode. I am Jared Albrecht, the Death Probe, a.k.a. the Yard Sale Artist. My co-host is my brother, Jason, the Weasel Skull Albrecht. We are both military combat vets who take our action seriously, but not too seriously. Let's have some fun. Man, I got to tell you, this is the part of the show where I tell you what kind of episode this is. This is like... I don't know, as the kids would say, the banginest episode maybe we've ever done. <laughs> is that what the kids say? The banginest? They, this episode slaps, y'all, as the kids would say. Our 40th episode, we've gone all out with two action film giants. Wow. That's all I can say. Two action film giants. That's what we got going on this episode. And with that, I'll pass it back to Jason. Yes, indeed. We got a cyborg double feature. But at any rate, we are going to score each of today's films on a scale of one to ten in five categories. You keep asking me, I keep telling you. Those categories are story, overall spectacle, best action scene, the hero, and the villain. And it's still not in that order because we want to make sure you're paying attention. Then we're going to have the deduction round where up to 10 points can be subtracted from the film's total for whatever we determine is the low point of the movie. Thank you, Jason. And as usual, as we've done for the last 10 episodes, I think we started doing this at 30, Jason. Not the, I don't know. Who keeps the stats on that? Oh, I know who keeps the stats. She's not. Yeah, it's Mountain Flower. Okay. <laughs> We've brought in guests. We've brought in snipers. And we are joined today by a very, very special sniper. Now, the sniper has just one point to give in each category. So the sniper can sway the scoring by a total of five points. And man, I feel like it's going to be important on this episode. Because... The sniper is going to carry some weight today based off of my scoring. I'll tell you what, Jason, right before I introduce him, I will tell you, I know which one of these two movies I like better, but I scored them just using our categories and kind of my thoughts. And I got exact same scores in both my columns. So our sniper is going to be super important. Let's get to that sniper. Our sniper has produced a documentary that I have seen and I have loved. I got to give full credit to Kevin Reitzel from the Judge Joe podcast, who told me about a little documentary called Search of the Last Action Heroes. And man, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. I saw it on Amazon. I suspect it's probably still there. And I want to introduce Mr. Ty Singh. Welcome to Action Film Face-Off, Ty. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Oh, man, we're excited to have you. I'm excited that my votes are going to carry so much sway. <laughs> this is world-altering decisions you have today, Ty. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones where certain segments of our fan base are going to be like, yes, Ty, and other ones are going to be like, you suck. You're just going to have to live uh, I'm looking forward <laughs> at potentially pissing off both sides as, as this episode progresses. And now, Ty, i got to give you a heads up, because I did watch your documentary last night, 
So I'm going to say some things that I took from your documentary as if they were my ideas, and I just want you to roll with it, okay? <laughs> I got to do anything I can to sound smart on this show. You know, normally, and we will we will let Ty weigh in on the normal question of his three favorite action films. While I was thinking about it, though, I do want to plug his documentary again in search of the last action heroes. I watched it probably about a year ago. And then uh, when Ty reached out and said he was interested in being on the show, and he was like, yeah, I was a producer on the search. I was like, what? I love that show. So that was really cool. So yeah, definitely check that out. Jason, Amazon, is that is that right? Is that where you saw it? I was... No, I watched it on, I think, Tubi. Tubi. Had it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which was a little disjointing because they throw commercials in wherever. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. Somebody could be in mid-sentence and then, pow, you're looking at a commercial for furniture or some well, some stuff. So, it, yeah, if you can get it somewhere else, I would recommend it. Get it where you can get it. It's really, really, really good. And I, I love that it was recommended to me. And then we finally got the link up with Ty. Now, I don't want to talk just about the documentary, which is wonderful. Ty, you also have a book that came out recently. And uh, we got to give you time to talk about that. Actually, it was a second book that I wrote. It's called Born to be Bad Part Two. And the first book that I wrote, Born to be Bad, was actually the reason I got brought onto the documentary. And actually, one of the films that we're going to discuss is the reason that I ended up writing a book. So the film was Robocop, and I was drunk. And uh, I was watching it. I think it was an anniversary screening. We were in a crammed little cinema in Bristol where I live. Everyone was like quoting the lines and everything. And I was just focused on how much fun all the actors who played the bad guys were having. Your Ronnie Coxes, your Kurtwood Smiths, your Ray Wises. And while cycling home drunk, I was like, forget all the action stars, you know, Bruce Willis and Arnie. I bet playing a bad guy in an action film is much more fun. And the next morning I sat down, wrote a list of the most memorable bad guys in action films. And I set about tracking them all down and interviewing them. And in the first book, Born to be Bad, I interviewed people like Vernon Wells from Mad Max uh, and Commando, Ronnie Cox, of course, from Robocop and Total Recall, David Patrick Kelly from The Warriors, Paul Freeman from Raiders of the Lost Ark, Benny the Jetta Kidez from Wheels on Meals and Dragons Forever. (laughs) And when that book came out and I saw In Search of the Last Action Heroes was going into production, I reached out to the production team and was like, I've just written this book, and I've interviewed a whole lot of the people, including Stephen E. D'Souza, who wrote Die Hard, and director Commando, who wrote the foreword to my first book. I was like, so I've kind of got in with some of these people, and they were like, you're on board as a co-writer, <laughs> producer. In fact, we'll send you out to LA to do all the interviews, as, as you know, Bill Duke. And I was like, nice. Oh. <laughs> um, and so that's how I ended up on the documentary. And then the book did kind of all right. It got some great reviews from the action Twitter community and websites like the Action Elite. So I decided to write a follow-up mainly to track down the actors that said no the first time. So for this book that's just come out in July, you've got people like Robert Patrick and Tony Todd and oh, Kim nice. Coates and <laughs> Stephen Lang and Xander Berkeley. So yeah, between the two books, if there is an action villain that you love and who's still alive, the actor's still alive, uh, chances are I interviewed them for the two books. Dude, that is awesome. Born to be bad. Born to be bad too. These books are available. Ty, where's the best place for them to get that? Is that an Amazon thing? Look, I'm all about supporting the little guy. So if you've got a local bookshop, order ask them, them to order it in. Yeah. I don't know what your swearing policy is, but Amazon can go Roger itself until it starts paying taxes. It's my policy. <laughs> sure, it's available on there by all means. But support your local bookshop, guys. I like it. That's what I'd say. I like it. Absolutely. So yeah, check with your local bookshop. They can get a copy for you. 
if you can't work that out, then, you know, Amazon can be your plan. It's fine. <laughs> get it on Kindle on Amazon if you must. Yeah, I'm in here in Washington State, so I got to I gotta watch what I say about Jeff Bezos, man. <laughs> I, think I could deal. be put up on a rocket that doesn't come back, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, He'll that, put you on one of his massive <laughs> rockets, and that'll be the last piece of it. That's right. It'll be the, le- the left <laughs> in the Right. <laughs> <laughs> Always gotta give me some extra stuff to bleep, Jason. Always speaking gotta. speaking of villains, the man just looks like Lex Luthor. So he does. I don't know why anyone <laughs> trusts him. He looks oh. like a megalomaniac villain. No doubt, man. Bond villain all the way. All yeah. the way. <laughs> He's not evil with his rockets. It's, it's nowhere. Anyways, we've given Ty plenty of time. Ty, what are your three favorite action films? And we're judging you. So obviously, as a child of the 90s and the 80s, I was born in 83, so I'm like 39. I, of course, grew up on all the Amlin films. And so for me, Raids of the Lost Ark is one of my favorite films of the time. It's the reason that I studied history throughout school and university. And then in the 90s, I got into Hong Kong cinema in a massive way. Channel 4 here in the UK, you show Jackie Chan films, one in the morning, so you'd have to you know, record them or watch them, but they would show them uncut and in their original languages, which was amazing. So I'm going to say Raiders of the Lost Ark, Police Story 3, Super Cop. A.K.A. Super Cop, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, got to get one? it. What was the last Hard-boiled. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I think that would be it. I just remember watching Hard-boiled for the first time, probably about 13, 14, and just, uh, yeah, Chiang Fat, the coolest man of all time, and we should just all... <laughs> Strive to be him, not just on screen, but as he is in life, where he just seems to give a lot of his money away to various charities and just seems to be an all-around decent guy. So, yeah, yeah hard-boiled. Oh, excellent, excellent. I mean, there's nothing like an action film that intentionally rolls their lead star through flour, so he'll be covered white, so when he blows the guy's brains out, the splatter looks even better on him. Uh. <laughs> first, he, first he, he spits out the toothpick. Listen, oh, he's first the toothpick, and then the then bam. The bullet. And then the blood all over him. Awesome. (laughs) And I got to say, Super Cop has a special place in my heart because when my my oldest son, who's 27 now, was little, he wanted to watch that movie all the time. We watched it like every weekend. So Super Cop was one of those Mm. those films he grew up on as well. I think that was the film that got me into Hong Kong cinema because I think it was either, I think it was Rumble in the Bronx. It had a very limited release in the UK. And to publicize that, Channel 4 was just showing lots of early Jackie Chan films. I hadn't seen Police Story 1 or 2 at that point. I think they also showed Police Story 2 later on during the marathon, but it was like Project A Part 2. And I just watched Police Story 3, and I was like, this is incredible. This is amazing. And then I just suddenly became sworn in as a Hong Kong cinema devotee. was tracking down all these Jet Li films. And, you know, they were all on VHS, so you'd have to track them down wherever you could and there was like five of us at school and we'd be swapping videos. It's like, oh, so-and-so's got Fist of Legend and so-and-so's got The Legend of Fong Sa Young and so-and-so's got The Killer. You've got <laughs> Please Story 3 and you're swapping them around school and holding like little viewing parties. It's great. It's great. Awesome. Awesome. That is Ty Singh. But before our films enter the video Dome Arena, which Jason has put the spikes on, we're thrilled to kick off this episode. Special shout-outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade and joined early access to special long box episodes and so much more. These are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. Thank you for being a friend. I will kick off with the awesomely named 
Angelica Wolf. Oh. Auburn Elvis. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Clinton Robinson. Captain Entropy. Dave Collins. Battle Wagon. Battle Wagon. Gary V. Gerald Green. Jason Alt. Jason Keen. Jeremy L. I'm getting all the alliterative ones. Jim Jarman. They're all superheroes. I bet they all have secret identities. <laughs> Joe Thomas. John Watson. Jose Poyer. Josh Strickland. Captivating Kathy Bright, the MVP. The monstrous Mark Haverly. Maxwell Traver. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick of Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Ross Michaud. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey67, who's probably in the cinema now watching Spider-Man No Way Home for the 67th time. (laughs) (laughs) Steve Cronin. Tim Price. This guy's got to be British. Tony Pennington. And Toronto Cop. If we missed anyone on the list, we apologize. Please keep in mind we record these episodes well in advance of release, as if I've never read that before. So if your recent edition should be adding you soon, but no worries, we can straighten you out. Or we got a Brit with us tonight. We'll sort you out. If you go to contact at longboxcrusade.com with your emails, we'll make it right. And if you want to become a Crusaders Club member, just go to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade for as little as a dollar a month. Get you access to the amazing world of Crusaders Club. Come check it out. All right, that's enough out of you. Let's get back to the combat and learn a bit about the film Gladiators about to battle for your pleasure. This episode, I was assigned the year of 1987, and I have selected RoboCop, starring Peter Weller. Jason, what did the randomizer select for you? Well, I got 1984, and I put into our Videodome arena... The Terminator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ooh, we've got a... This is always in the script, but I'm going to say it with extra enthusiasm. We have a fine matchup for this one, folks. So it's important to point out that this isn't Jared versus Jason. We each had to select from our assigned year. I might like his selection better than mine, or vice versa. This is all about us discussing beloved action films and coming to a consensus on what this episode's champion is going to be. Quick around the room of where... We saw these episodes. I'll tell you right now, I watched Terminator on my Blu-ray, because I like that one in a little more high definition. And I watched RoboCop in the theater with last month's guest, Ezra Gallo. (laughs) They had a a theater screening of it this month in uh, Birmingham, and I met him up there. We watched it on the big screen. So that's where I saw Terminator and RoboCop. Jason, what about you? Well, I also watched Terminator on my Blu-ray in Glorious High Def. And then I was trying to watch RoboCop on a DVD copy that I had. Had a little interesting experience there where, for some reason, my remote stopped working. Tried to change out the battery, still wasn't working, so I couldn't get off of the index screen there. So I said, you know what? Screw it. I'll just rent it from Amazon. You could rent it for like $3.99 or buy it for $4.99. So this is the very first Amazon Prime movie that I was like, I'll pay the extra dollar buy it just on a streaming copy so uh watch we bought it off of amazon prime for 4.99 watch all the time just 24 7 in the background yeah just keep it going on loop all right ty what about you how'd you watch these for prep for this episode oh i've got the the arrow blu-ray of robocop and i've got the lovely mgm special edition double disc dvd and i've never bothered to upgrade the terminator because I think it often like smooths it out too much, and you want that kind of grainy feel. Yeah. Uh, so right. the, that's how I watched it. Yeah. Love it, love it. 
Okay, here's your spoiler warning, folks. Obviously, we're going to spoil the heck out of these movies, but let's be honest. If you haven't seen RoboCop or Terminator, it's not our problem. That's your problem. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Help, man. But you know what? We'll still give you the musical, uh, little musical moment here, and we will catch you on the other side. Hey, welcome back from that. I'm going to jump in with some quick info on 1987's RoboCop. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you RoboCop. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go, you are under arrest. You better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. Anything you say may be used against you. He's a cyborg, you idiot. You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory's admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. RoboCop, the future of law enforcement. All right, your cast and crew is as follows. It starred Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Kurtwood Smith, Ronnie Cox, a whole bunch of cool people. It's directed by Paul Verhoeven, and your synopsis goes a little something like this. Alex Murphy is a Detroit cop. You know what? What am I saying? It's RoboCop. Go see RoboCop. Let's skip to the trivia. Here's, here's If you don't know the story of RoboCop, I'm not going to tell it to you. You know what? All of a sudden, I'm feeling like I put too much effort into my synopsis. <laughs> well, we'll find out when we get there. Here's your trivia for RoboCop. Three little nuggets I dug up from those internets. All right. So the screenplay had been offered to and rejected by just about every big name director in Hollywood before Paul Verhoeven got a hold of it. He threw it away after reading the first few pages, convinced it was a dumb action movie. It was actually his wife, Martine, who read it all the way through and convinced him there was more layers of the story and that he should give it a try. So thank you, Martine Verhoeven, for giving the world RoboCop. Item number two, in the hostage scene, and I really like this one, by the way, because pay attention, everyone. In the hostage scene, as RoboCop is walking toward the room where the former councilman is holding the mayor hostage, the infrared heat vision mode was actually executed using fluorescent body paint on the nude actors and a blacklight. Paul Verhoeven says that he thought this technique would be cheaper than getting an actual infrared spectrometer camera. And I think that is brilliant because I have never noticed. <laughs> I've watched that movie a billion times in a billion formats, and I have never noticed that shortcut. That's ever. fantastic. I had no idea. Never. And third one, director Paul Verhoeven credits James Cameron's The Terminator from 1984 with the success of RoboCop. Because when Orion Pictures started, they were kind of like the Miramax of the studios. They wanted to do high class stuff and they thought, eh, 
eh, low budget sci-fi stuff. I don't know. They took a chance on Terminator when it hit big. They decided, hey, there could be some money in this sci-fi thing. And then they optioned RoboCop. So our two movies are linked tonight, and I'll hand it back to you, Jason. Well, thank you, Jared. I will now give you all the rundown on 1984's The Terminator. In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be powerful, versatile, and indestructible. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It will feel no pity, no remorse, no pain, no fear. It will have only one purpose. To return to the present and prevent the future. This weapon will be called the Terminator. You're dead, honey. What day is it? The date? 12th May, Thursday. What year? Assigned to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. Why does it want me? Why me? Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Your future is in its hands. The cast and crew included Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michael Bean, and Linda Hamilton. It was directed by James Cameron. Synopsis goes a little something like this. It's Terminator. You should just watch. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> in the not too distant future, humanity is on the brink of extinction by the dreaded cybernetic machines. All seems lost until a leader emerges to urge humanity to fight back. On the brink of human victory, the machines take one last desperate gambit. They send a cybernetic Terminator to 1984 to murder the mother of humanity's savior. Undaunted, the humans send a soldier of their own to save her. It's man versus machine, with victory or extinction on the line. Here's a couple interesting nuggets of trivia. So Arnold Schwarzenegger trained with firearms every day for a month to prepare for his role. He field-stripped and reassembled firearms blindfolded so he could develop a robotic approach to his weapons handling. He also trained to shoot without blinking or emoting. His efforts garnered him praise in Soldier of Fortune magazine, and they normally pan these types of movies. Mm. Arnold has 14 whole lines of dialogue in Terminator, and I bet between the three of us we could recall all 14 <laughs> lines from that movie. In contrast, in Conan, he had 23. Oh, man, he got demoted. <laughs> he got, got even fewer lines. Yeah. <laughs> and the final one I found darkly humorous. <laughs> I just saw it in the script. Oh, my God. O.J. Simpson was considered for the role of Terminator, but producer said that he was too nice to be taken seriously as a cold-blooded killer. <laughs> I'll let that one sit in. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody just stares at each other. 
<laughs> All right, now that we have the basics on today's contestants. Ladies and gentlemen, test your might. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. It's a street fight. All right, we're about to get into it, but let me remind you of the game within the game match game. Jason has his scores. I have my scores. We have not seen each other's scores. We have two films. We have five rounds, which means we can have up to 10 possible matches. So make your bets now on how many match games you think we're going to have. And speaking of scores, as a reminder to everybody who listens, or if you're new, welcome. We'd like to remind you that if we give something a five, which is not going to happen on any category in this episode, a five is average. It means it's okay. It means it's a halfway decent made for TV movie. And uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You got a real good film. Four, three, two, one. You got mm, things to work on. Having said that, let's get into round one. Hadouken! Round one is the story. How engaging, how original is the story? We will start with you, Ty, with your thoughts on the story of RoboCop 1987. Well, I mean, the story of RoboCop is pretty much a Christ allergy, isn't it? It's a man that comes back from the dead, but also it is a very much a futuristic Western. The one good cop in the bad town, he's gunned down and comes back. Well, as a robot, that doesn't happen often in the Westerns, <laughs> to exact justice. Very straightforward. It is kind of like Western because there's a lot going on. It doesn't need to be complex. It does need to be straightforward. And I think Paul Verhoeven realizes that. He gives the film proper emotion. And because he is a man that grew up in the Netherlands during World War II, and he is used to seeing atrocities as a young boy and a certain level of violence that uh, a lot of us couldn't even imagine, he is able to dial up the satire of the violence and also those propaganda newsreels to such a level that I do believe it went over the heads of many American audiences at the time. I think it was one of those films that might have done better in the UK than America when it was released because I think UK critics might have recognised the satirical elements that Paul Verhoeven was putting in, whereas the MPAA in America was just focusing on the violence. People might want to correct me on that, but I think from a story point of view, it's very simplistic, but it doesn't need to be more of, more than that. And for that reason, it's, it's great. Awesome. Awesome. Jason, your thoughts. Robocop 1987, story. Yeah, I agree with everything Ty said. I will add, for my mind, as I watched it, and it's been a minute since I've seen this film. I used to watch it a lot when I had it on VHS, and then I, for whatever reason, I haven't watched it for years until it came up for this episode. And A Tale of Two Cities really kind of entered my mind there, the Dickens classic, because you really have the city of Detroit, which is two cities within itself that I think is displayed remarkably in this film. You have the crime-ridden streets, the just economically depressed city of Detroit, which may resonate with some people today. And then in the middle of it, you have these gleaming towers of the ultra wealthy. And in the middle, caught in the middle, are the police. So they're kind of bridging these two worlds. You have these elements of the crime lords, the Boddickers on one end, and you've got the Dick Jones of the corporate world. And they're just squeezing the heck out of this poor hapless city. In the middle, begets RoboCop. And to me, that was kind of the angle of the story that I took when I watched it this time. And I saw a little bit more complexity than what, what I had recalled from my earlier, younger viewings. That influenced my score a little bit. Excellent. 
It's funny. We all saw it through a, a different lens, even though it is like Ty said, it's a simple story and it's a straightforward story, but it has subtle layers in it. You know, like the, he pointed out those satirical commercials and news breaks and stuff like that. They were really over the top by 87 standards, but I think most of those things have come true by now. Uh, but, <laughs> and like Jason said, a tale of two cities. And to me, the movie is about a man reclaiming his humanity. I love the way the movie ends. I think it's one of those movies that has a perfect ending about how he, you know, realizes who he is again. And to an extent, to, I mean, to a much lesser extent, I don't know if I can speak for you, Jason, but, you know, there came a time where I needed to refine my identity and not be Captain Albrecht anymore and just be, you know, Jared again. And so as a guy who's, who's been in the military, and I saw Jason nod his head when we were talking about that. I can identify with that as well, too. Kind of finding who who you were before you became a machine in a sort of a way. I'm not saying I'm tough and cool like RoboCop by any means, but I understand the journey. Let's move to 1984. Let's go back in time. Uh -huh. See the transition I did there? Uh, <laughs> Terminator in 1984. Ty, your thoughts on the story of Terminator 1984? I mean, the story of Terminator, I mean, the story of the story of Terminator is incredible because i'm sure many of your listeners will know that apparently it came to james cameron while he was in italy uh, in the middle of editing piranha 2 the spawning and came down with a fever and while he was sleeping that night he had just this vision of a, a metal skeleton rising out of the fire and just started writing the terminator which is an incredible story but the big shadow that obviously hands, hangs over the story of the terminator is that renowned sci-fi author Harlan Ellison took James Cameron to court for allegedly ripping off one of his short stories, The Soldier from Tomorrow, which I think came in Outer Limits episode, but I'm not sure. So I would say that the story for Terminator is the idea of a soldier coming back through time to save the mother of the future savior of humanity is incredibly compelling and amazing and just triggers the imagination. I know it did when it was when I first saw it as a kid and the fact that Kyle Reese is also John Connor's father, but they're friends in the future and oh my God. <laughs> but I think that the whole Harlan Ellison thing probably goes against Cameron. But yes, as stories go, it is incredibly engaging and original. It's just a shame it might not be as original as we all believe. <laughs> All right. It's like an expose episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, your thoughts of Terminator 1984, the story. Yeah, I found the story pretty fascinating as well. And to me, the thing that stands out about it is the amount of legs that it's had over the years. This is a story that's been told in several cinematic versions. It's had a television series. It's had comic books, and they've all been pretty doggone good. There's just a lot of directions you can go. And no disrespect to Harlan Ellison, but I think it's more than just the soldier from the future and the Terminator from the future. It makes us question the decisions that we make. And to me, the most interesting aspect about this film was the human elements of it. We see Sarah Connor literally begin her transformation from kind of this helpless 80s waitress to the mother of the savior of humanity. You know, as we progress through this, she does more than just give birth to him. She raises him and trains him, as we see in, in future movies. But here in this chapter, we get to see her development from just kind of a sad sack to the on-your-feet soldier at the end of the movie. 
And to me, that's the most interesting aspect of the storytelling is watching this progression as we go through the film. Yeah, I I think you hit on something really interesting there, Jason. I I don't know if when they made this one in 84, they had the full intent to take the full path that they did. But to me, the story of this franchise is kind of Sarah's franchise, really, more than anything else, more than anything else. It's Sarah's story. I mean, she's the one that got the TV show, and the TV show was really good, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, even when she's not in it, she's in it. Yeah, her her, her fingerprints are on it. Yeah, her presence is felt. I think... The producers forgot that it was meant to be Sarah's story, and that's why Terminator 3, Salvation, and Genesis, or Genesis, however they want to spell it and pronounce it, all fall down to a certain extent. But as you said, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, I felt, was a wonderful redemption of that. And I know the film had its detractors, but I I really enjoyed Dark Fate, if only to see um, Linda Hamilton return to the role. Yeah, I liked her in that as well. and. well, if we're going to admit things, I'm a big time apologist for Genesis. I think it's really good, but that, you know. Someone's got to like it. I'm uh, the guy. I, 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 I'll go to the bat for Terminator Salvation because at least they tried something different and there was no time travel. So, good point. Look, good point. everyone, look, one man's junk is another man's treasure. <laughs> I, I would put Genesis at the bottom of the pile, but the fact that you like it makes me happy that someone does. <laughs> I like this guy. That's my attitude as well. Like that's totally cool. You know what? Let's score these movies, Jason. You and I have a a, a duty, and I, mean, I don't I don't envy Ty. He has to while we're talking. He has to figure out which of these two movies has a better story. Good luck, Ty. Jason, let's go to RoboCop, nineteen eighty seven, scale of one to ten, story. You know, this one, I thought and chewed over on it for a while. And if you would have asked me going into it before I've watched it again, I'd say story's about a six or a seven. When I watched it this time, I saw a lot of things that I didn't pick up on before. And I thought saw a lot of things that still resonate today. So I thought, this is a pretty forward-thinking <laughs> film, probably more than I gave it credit for. So I landed on an eight for the story of RoboCop. All right. I like it just a little more than you. I'm a big homer for RoboCop. I won't lie. I gave it a nine. I know it's simple, but with the tiny layering he did and just the build and the progression, I I just think it's perfectly told. I think it's a simple story, perfectly told. I gave it a nine. Terminator 1984, scale of one to 10, Jason. Well, we've talked about it pretty much at length. I think the thing that I admired most about it was This is the film that set the course, and the course had so much in the terms of legs, you know, that over the decades, it still manages to entertain and enthrall us. It all started here. This is the one I gave a nine to. I guess this is just my uh, episode be slightly more generous. I gave it a perfect 10. Flawless victory. Whether it's James Cameron or Harlan Ellison, I don't know, but I think it's a great story with an intense amount of creativity and i gave it the full 10 well genesis weighed it down for me (laughs) (laughs) genesis it gets an 11 by my standard what what can i say all right unenviable task ty what you gonna do your sniper's bullet are you gonna give the bonus to robocop or terminator so this is a hard one going into this i i thought terminator would have been a shoo-in because it's one of my favorite films of all time it's a love story throughout time it's a story of a woman becoming more than she ever thought she was possible. You've got time travel, you've got cyborgs. And while Robocop's story in comparison is more 
simple. I think it's because of Paul Verhoeven and the layers that he puts into it that I don't think any other director would have. The corporations in America taking over everything, the kind of propaganda news feeds, the over-militarization of the police, which is a big factor that plays in Robocop and how the corporations actually own that and are feeding into it. I think because of that, when you watch Robocop, as Jason said, it's still relevant and it's still timely. I think for that reason, by the narrowest of hairbreadths, I would probably give it to Robocop. I understand. I totally understand. I do too. I do too. This is a hard one. I think too that, you know, if you're playing match game, I think this is going to be a difficult one because I think Jared is going to lean heavy, well, a little heavier towards Robocop, whereas I'm going to lean a little heavier towards Terminator. So I think we're going to be like just off one or two as we go through, but we'll see. So let's talk about the hero. You know, when we talk about heroes, we're going to talk about, you know, heroes and the hero supporting cast. Let's talk about the hero to RoboCop. And Ty, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts? It's a hard one for RoboCop because Alex Murphy starts off the film and he's there. He's charismatic. He's a dad. He just wants to kind of be uh, a role model to his son. And then when it's RoboCop, because RoboCop is certain he is a template for you to project your feelings upon him there is much less personality until the end when alex murphy starts to kind of come through the programming it it is a fascinating story and kind of one that is really compelling and has been played out many times throughout cinema of the man that kind of falls and then comes back and you know tries to re-establish himself after falling it is an archetype but it's a very compelling archetype well said. Jared, what are your thoughts? Ty said it all classy, but RoboCop's cool. <laughs> <laughs> RoboCop cool. Okay. That's the kind of cutting-edge analysis you get back to face-off, folks. I mean, but, you know, I'll start with his look. He looks cool. It's one of the best designs of anything ever in cinema. He looks fantastic. Fair. I mean, we all wanted to be RoboCop, right? And... It's well, I didn't want to get my arm shot. Well, yeah, you don't want to take the road to be RoboCop. I, I don't think anyone wants to be RoboCop. <laughs> RoboCop doesn't want to be RoboCop. He just wants to go back to being Alex Murphy. You right, can't so love. I, you can't touch. He's just I ahead. <laughs> uh, okay, everybody likes the idea of RoboCop. Hey, you know, it's funny that we he's going to get a really, really good score from me when we get to there. But, like, to me, it's funny how, like Ty said, you do, we don't really see his humanity until the last maybe 25% of the movie when he unmasks. And, again, I, I'm going to reference this point. I, I swear that 99% of my love for this movie is the final scene, and the other 1% is the, is the theme music. But the, the final scene where he says, you know, nice shooting son, what's your name? And he, the way he delivers Murphy, there's even a little smile there. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's found his humanity again. So to me, he's strangely optimistic. There's an optimism about RoboCop. In a very dark and pessimistic movie, there's an optimistic a part of RoboCop. And I'm drawn to optimistic heroes. I love Rocky. Uh, I love RoboCop. You know, heroes with optimism are sort of my thing. So that's how I feel about RoboCop. Just the thing that I'll add to that is I think Peter Weller's acting in this is just spectacular. Uh, Like Ty said, you see him at the beginning of the film and you get a sense right away the kind of man he is, the kind of police officer he is, the kind of father he is, the kind of husband he is. Does it in a relatively short period of time. And then throughout the middle two thirds of the movie, pretty much, 
he has to emote robotic in that kind of iconic RoboCop getup. But then subtly throughout the film, you start seeing the hints and the glimpses of the humanity starting to return. And it all culminates, like Jared said, in that final act. So I just think it was remarkably a maybe bit of a paradox, but he, uh, the subtle acting, I think, is, is really important to this and doesn't really get noticed sometimes. But I, I definitely noticed it this round. And then finally, uh, Nancy Allen, I thought, did a really great job, you know, in her role as well. I just kept thinking when I saw that scene where, you know, where Murphy gets shot to pieces, just like how, oh, how gutting that had to have been for her, you know, for her character to see that, try to get, you know, to where she could save him and just not get there in time and just basically have to watch that. Such a gutting scene, such a, such a terrible scene, but it sets up for the rest of the movie. And then let's talk about the hero or heroes, I guess you could kind of say, of Terminator. And Jared, we'll start with you this time. I, I like Michael Bean as a hero. You know, it's funny when you think Terminator, we don't really think of it. We kind of think Linda Hamilton, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Michael Bean kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. So I want to give him a little limelight and say I think he's a really cool sort of 80s action hero. I always like him when I see him pop up. Even in the 90s, we've, he's been on the show before with The Rock. He's just kind of that under the radar action guy. So big props to him. I think he's really great. And then, of course, we already mentioned Linda Hamilton, who's who makes the transition from arguably damsel to hero throughout this film and becomes like an icon of female action stars as this franchise moves forward. And I, I, I mean, you can't discount that. So they're kind of a pretty good one two combination of heroes. And I'll pass it to Ty and let him continue his thoughts there. Yeah, Linda Hamilton's incredible in the film. The journey she goes on, the terror she conveys, and the terror that even when she's fighting for her life, that never leaves her. You know, the saying that bravery isn't the absence of fear, it is being afraid and still working through that to get the job done. And that's everything that Sarah Connor is. She is always afraid, always afraid of losing her son, always afraid that Judgment Day will, will come to pass. And yeah, she's incredible. Michael Bean is the heart of this film. Literally, he came back through time because he fell in love with a photo of Sarah Connor. There's absolutely a way you could look at this as the creepiest film ever. But he portrays it with <laughs> such love and intensity. Also, the character of Reese is suffering from such intense post-traumatic stress. He's emaciated. He's terrified. He sees like a bulldozer and he's having nightmares because it's reminding him of the hunter killers that are roaming the landscape that he grew up. And that's kind of the issue. That I had with Genesis. I don't want to give that film a kicking. But as much as I like Jai Courtney, big fan of Spartacus, Blunt Sand, his Kyle Reese looked like he had been hitting the protein shakes and the gym somewhere in a post-apocalyptic landscape. He didn't look terrified. He didn't look like he was suffering from any stress whatsoever. And the Kyle of the character of Reese should be just intensely terrified and stressed and just full of fear the entire time. And plus the fact that the man can make Sarah Connor fall in love with him, despite the fact that he stole his trousers off a homeless man. It's a testament mm, to the mm. heart, gentlemen. Yeah. It's a testament to love. Yeah, you know he has some <laughs> going on down there at that point. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm sorry. That was the first thought I saw when I saw Reese on screen. Like, ooh, I don't know if I'd put those <laughs> <laughs> Without some sort of layer of protection between there is there is going to be a smell in the shared car <laughs> yeah. that they they're in together. It's no, 
The second thought I when he was running barefoot down that alley is like, oh, you know he's stepping on all kinds of glass in there, glass and drug needles and everything else. This is not good. It's not good, Kyle. But yeah, to Ty's point and to Jared's as well, the thing about Kyle that really gripped me this time, like he is on the raggedy edge. This man has been through some battles. You see it in his emotional state and you see it on his body with all the scars and the the burn tissue and everything else. And to me, that sings out just the best traits of being a soldier. He basically had to volunteer to take a trip. He didn't know what was going to happen. And it's like, oh, and by the way, you got to go entirely naked, no weapons. and You got to face off against this Terminator and the fate of the world's in your hands. Good luck. And this guy does it. And that says a lot about his character, his love for humanity, as well as his love for Sarah. So well said, both of you. Let's score them. Jared, what did you give the hero to RoboCop? Indiana Jones, James Bond, Batman, RoboCop. They're all 10s. It's a 10. Flawless victory. It's RoboCop. It gets a 10. All right. I didn't go quite as high as a 10. I went with an 8. I thought he's in elite category, but he's not James Bond and he's not Indiana Jones. This is horse (laughs) Well, let's talk about the hero to Terminator. What'd you give old Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean there, Jared? For this movie, I gave him an eight. I guarantee if we did Terminator 2. Which we well, have. <laughs> which, <laughs> we, oh, yeah, we did. I think, we I, did. A 10. I, think I gave him a 10. I think yeah. we did too. Yeah. But at this point, for the heroes, <laughs> I gave him an eight. Well, we have had our first official match game because I thought eight as well. Coming out of the gate, again, they're at elite level. All right, Ty, sniper time. It's Linda Hamilton. I'm going to give it Sarah Connor. As much as I love Robocop, the character of Alex Murphy is something that anyone can jump into, and they have for sequels. Whereas I think Sarah Connor, whenever it has been played by someone else, you are just wanting Linda Hamilton to come back. And I love Lena Headey as Sarah Connor in The Terminator Chronicles. She's great. She does a wonderful job. But there's a reason that they even bring Linda Hamilton back for a voice cameo in Terminator Salvation. And the fact that they killed the character in Terminator 3 with leukemia, what a slap in the face to the character that was. I, that, it's it's yeah. always going to be Sarah Connor. Well, there it is. It's in the book. I'm going to turn it over back to Jared. All right, let's get into round three. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Round three is the villain. And oh my, my, this is going to be another tough category because both these movies have crazy, outstanding villains. Jason, I'm going to let you go first in this round. So uh, let's talk about the villainy of RoboCop. The interesting thing about the villainy of RoboCop is you have two really good villains in Dick Jones and Clarence Boddicker. And every time I saw Clarence Boddicker, I wanted him to say, dumbass, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> But oh, and I love both those uh, Ronnie Cox and Kurtwood Smith, man, both tremendous actors bringing it, having some fun. Kurtwood Smith is so over the top in this movie that it's ridiculous. You know, Ronnie Cox is just so like outside his normal characters that he's played. But boy, he's just like that bathroom scene. When I saw him in there, I was like, you need to shut the up, buddy, because <laughs> this is not going to end well for you. I, I peed my own pants and left the theater. <laughs> yeah, that says a lot when this guy's like, you know, I'm not even done. Pe- I'll just finish it in my pants, <laughs> walk out the door because I'm not, I'm not sticking around. Last thing before I pass it to Ty, 
Clarence Boddicker and his entire crew, the amount of cruelty, the amount of sadism, just the sociopathic, I'm going to say it, less than stellar personhood of <laughs> of uh, Kurtwood Smith's Clarence Boddicker. Oh, man. I felt it the first time I watched this movie. I felt it this last time I watched this movie. It's like, oh, I want these men to pay. I want these men to pay so bad. And it sets off for like such a great payoff in the end. It's it's like one of those movies, the revenge that they get, you know, a lot of times it's like, eh, is that revenge is sweet is the crime that was trespassed upon our protagonist. And this time I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, they got what was coming to them. And I think that's all really a credit to the performances of both Kurtwood Smith and Ronnie Cox. And with that, I'll shut up and pass it to Tiny. Well, I think if if anyone heard about the reason why I wrote my first book, Born to be Bad, they might already know where I'm leaning with this. But yes, Ronnie Cox and Kurtwood Smith, what can be said? They jump off the screen. And Ronnie Cox, for him, this film was a big deal because after Deliverance, he had kind of been railroaded and just kind of put into sensitive roles, which when I interviewed him, he was like, you know, I was just playing nice guys, guys that would cry. And then I would get like military roles, police officers. But he said it was Paul Verhoeven that really gave my career a jumpstart by casting me as Dick Jones. And he's so good. Paul Verhoeven cast him pretty much in exactly the same role for Total Recall. Apparently, Paul Verhoeven said to him that watching him be evil is like watching a Mercury astronaut turn bad. You know, that epitome of what an American hero looks like, but just being an absolute dick about it. (laughs) So um, Ronnie Cox and Kurtwood Smith, man, ah, the lines that man gets to deliver, the relish he says is them with him. Doing cocaine, dipping his finger in an arms dealer's glass of red wine. Ah, delicious. It's no wonder while having, you know, three beers in, I was like, I've got to interview these guys. They look like they are having a ball. And uh, yeah, that's where I stand. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about bad guys in Terminator. Well, let's talk about the bad guy in Terminator. (laughs) Jason? Man, AFI's list of top 100 villains. There you go. We'll start with that. Hats off to Arnold Schwarzenegger, because he was at this point in his career where he's breaking it big in Conan, and he's warned off to not do this film, not be the villain in this film, because, you know, his agent thinks it'll derail his career, basically. He does it anyway, and does it with style that only Arnold Schwarzenegger could pull off. He has been one of the quintessential villains in cinematic history since 1984, will always remain so. I think that's all I need to say about that. All right, Ty. (laughs) I mean, as Jason said, it's iconic. Arnie, we think of Arnie, think of the Terminator. And there's a reason for that. For this first film, he embodied that role so perfectly. He did everything he could. He trusted James Cameron explicitly. And he is an unstoppable force of nature. The only reason why... If this goes to a sniper off, I might lean towards Robocop. Is the villain that is an unstoppable force of nature has kind of been done before. Your your truck in Jaws, your shark in Jaws. This is something that's just going to pursue you to the end. And he's great in it. Arnie is great. He is ripping hearts out of chest. The only reason is this is somewhat undermined by the stratospheric rise of Arnie's star that going forward can't just make Arnie the bad guy. He's got to become 
the good guy, and that somewhat undercuts it. But in the original film, in its uncut, pure, raw form, he's great. He's wonderful. I, and I don't even have anything to add. We can just start scoring them. You guys are absolutely right. Jason, Robocop, 1987. You kind of got the one-two dynamic duo of bad guys. Scale of one to ten, what you got? Well, they may not be in the list of uh, 100 best uh, villains in the uh, AFL, or they might be. I don't know. But they had a lot of fun doing it and pulled off a stellar performance. I gave them an eight. All right. Once again, I'm a little more generous. I gave them a nine. I think their synergy of evil is just delicious and unforgettable. And we often talk about how memorable is your villain. You don't forget the bad guys from RoboCop. You also don't forget the bad guys from Terminator. Jason, one to ten. Ten. Flawless victory. Is in the history books, will remain so. One of the most terrifying, iconic villains of all time. 10. Absolutely match game. Flawless victory. I also have it at a 10. So uh, two perfects for Arnie in uh, 1984's Terminator. But Ty gave us some insights on what he might do with his sniper bullet. And now's his time to shine. I mean, these are both top tier villains. The only reason I'm going to go to Robocop is that Arnie did not say bitches leave in the <laughs> That is the only reason. That's the only reason. So unfortunately, I have to give it to Kurtwood Smith and Ronnie Cox. <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> Even when I watched it just this couple weekends ago at the theater, uproarious laughter throughout the theater. Everybody laughed. Everybody loves that line. It's so thrown out there casually. It's hilarious. When she goes out the door, you'll call me, won't you? (laughs) No, I'm not going to be calling you. (laughs) I still want to know, like, in the next scene, they're, like, on the big board meeting. Well, it's the end scene. I noticed nobody in the board meeting is asking, where's Bob? (laughs) Has anybody seen Bob today? (laughs) Anyways, that's the end of my round. Let's get to round four. I'll be back. All right, four is spectacle. We're going to talk about overall spectacle about both of these films. We're going to talk about the action sequences, the effects. Um, if you're into the the score and the soundtrack, uh, as I know my brother is, uh, you can factor that in as well. Uh, let's kick it off, and we'll start with you this time, Ty. Let's talk about the spectacle of RoboCop. I mean, it's all spectacle. It's such a visual film. Everything from just the suit, the way it looks, the level of violence in it, the squibs, ah, oh, the blood splatter. Love it. it. It's an incredibly visual film and everything about elevates it from Paul Verhoeven's, uh, like I touched upon, understanding of kind of propaganda from living through a Nazi occupation and, and transferring that to American corporate society, to Basil Polidorus's score. To, to everything. I mean, it, it's great. It's a reason it's one of the most beloved action sci-fi films of all time. So, it, yeah, it, it's, it's great. That first time when you're watching Alex Murphy get executed and his arm's blown off and then he's just shot directly in the head, you're just like, this film is, is taking everything to a whole other level. And violence-wise, it's... Uh, it's a 10, violence Oh, Jared, anything to add there? Very little. I said it all from the design of the suit to the special effects. It was one of the last times we saw stop motion used like in a really cool way. Uh, yeah, Phil Tippett. Like yeah. doing the stop motion uh, at 209. Wonderful guy. Freaking awesome. It just, and and I definitely going to highlight bold and underline the Basil Polidorus theme, man. Like that, I, I hear it and I just get jazzed, man. It's like freaking RoboCop. So yeah, it, even in the, "Quote unquote sillier parts with the TV shows and the commercials for six thousand SUX and all those things. It's visual. I, I like can't that board even... game. What was the board game? Nukem. Nukem. 
You just cut off my water rights. <laughs> just everything is spectacle. So, yep. That's all I got to say about that. I'll just add, I I hope they make that Nukem board game because it looked kind of fun. Yeah, I'd, I'd, play it. I'd, <laughs> I'd, buy, I'd buy that board game. Yeah, that, that that is funny. No, I think you guys have all nailed it. It's a spectacle movie. And actually, just watching your documentary last night, I did not realize the back and forth that they, they went through for the, the level of violence in the film. I do recall when I first saw it in the movie theater, I did not pay attention to what the rating was. I just kind of wandered in cold, like, oh, this looks interesting. And I assumed it was going to be kind of like a, a family <laughs> film. And so did a lot of the audience, I think, as I was looking around. There were a lot of kids in there. And that scene where the arm was blown off, I was like. I, I look, <laughs> again, I do not want to disparage America, but your rating system is completely f- an R-rated film and you can take kids in just because there's an adult there? No. There is a reason why here in the UK it's like 12A, 15, 18. This whole R-rated thing is nonsense. There should not be in a kids in like a Robocop thing. And I'm just saying that because I'm jealous that I did not get to see it in cinema. <laughs> That's what I was say. You're just jealous. In America, it is a rite of passage to sneak into an R-rated movie, man. It's like, uh-huh, I'm 13 and I'm watching Porky's. But that's the thing. It sounds like you don't even have to sneak in. You can just go, I'm with that guy, or have a very irresponsible uncle or dad take you. It's Whereas the, in the UK, is. you're like, I have to grow this facial hair out to look like I might be over 15. <laughs> yeah, don't 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 hate us, man. It's, it's just part of growing up. We got to sneak into these movies. All right. Uh, spectacle of Terminator. I mean, here, the spectacle is underplayed simply because it was a budgetary thing. It's a very low budget, made by the Studio Pants Gorilla film. And for that, the spectacle is minimized, but it's all about what he does with the money on screen. And a lot of that is going towards Stan Winston and his awesome puppetry and the kind of the what you do see of like the flashbacks to the post-apocalyptic world. And what James Cameron does with so little is incredible. It's almost a shame he's the most successful director of all time and can do all these pushing the envelope breakthroughs and special effects because you almost want him to go back to those Roger Corman days and be doing everything by the seat of his pants. But at the same time, every time that man releases a film, you know he's doing something incredible. So all these people who think like Avatar 2 and 3, no one's going to see it, that man gives you a reason to go to the cinema. It is someone that does not learn from history that is betting against James Cameron. You never bet against James Cameron. Only a fool bets against James Cameron. I agree wholeheartedly. Jared, what are your thoughts? I also agree. Don't have a lot to add. Like I said, shoestring budget still looks great. Manages a, a certain level of tension throughout. Again, you know me, I lean heavily into m- music scores. And I mean, it's simple, but da dun 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 <laughs> That's all I got to say. We know what we're talking about, you know? So, yeah, these two movies, very close in score. That's the only thing I was going to add. You know, Jared, you pay much more attention to the score of these films than I do. A lot of times it just washes over me. But this is one that when I hear that music, it hits me on a primal level. I did watch it with my son and my son's like, oh, these effects are pretty rough. You know, I was like, shut up, man. (laughs) These are good. (laughs) There's also the thing that the theme to the Terminator is very sweeping it's brad fidel's theme it's a very move it's a love theme mm-hmm. it, it is is an incredibly moving theme and sure it's got that bass kind of percussion 
you know, clanking, and especially when he kind of ramps it up for Terminator 2. But it's an incredibly moving score that I, I yeah, think those, a lot of people kind of forget. I think you're right. I think the score is very moving. It's romantic. And then you have that mechanical undertone that's always there. That sums up the movie. It's like this is a doomed romance and there's always going to be this machine foe in the background. Well, I think it's time to wrap up this part of the conversation and uh, let's let's do some scoring. And Jared, what are you going to give the score for the spectacle of RoboCop? You know, you thinking five, six? Yeah, I'm thinking five plus six. <laughs> I'd give it an 11 if I could, but here we are on Action Film Face Off. It stops at 10, so it's getting a 10. Flawless victory. You don't take your eyes off of RoboCop from beginning to end. You just don't. It's a spectacle film all the way. I'm giving a full 10. I didn't quite go full 10 on this one, but yeah, definitely super elite level, and it gets a 9 for me. What did you uh, give the spectacle to Terminator? I gave it a 9. I thought it was almost as as good as RoboCop as far as spectacle goes. only thing that really held it back was budgetary stuff, maybe a little dated effects, but again, that's more of a plus than a minus. Like, look what they did with what they had, so... I don't want to see it so negative, but I mean, it's a strong nine, nine for me. Well, apparently you were in a little bit better mood than I was when you watched it because I gave it an eight. So you're a plus one for me up on, on both of these. That just leaves the sniper bullet. And Ty, what are you thinking? I mean, I agree with everything that Jared said. It's purely a budgetary thing that would make me kind of go with Robocop. But in terms of like visual effects, I will always take a puppet and stop motion over late 90s early 2000s cgi so it's it's not just kind of like a a nostalgia thing it's like that is work they put the f-ing work in on that puppet on that stop motion stop look at phil Tippett move that model of the ed 209 look at stan winston's craft look at the craft so i will always when your son goes the effects are a bit ropey just sit him down in front of the mummy returns when the rock scorpion king comes out and goes, look, <laughs> oh. that's what happens with CGI. Appreciate the model work. And then just <laughs> yeah, send him to his room. Um, so Robocop, sorry, short answer. I'll go with Robocop. Robocop it is. Okay, well, I'm going to turn it briefly over to Jared, who will turn it back to me here momentarily. I'm nobody's bitch. Round five is best action scene. This is where I hand it to Jason. Jason's going to lay out the action scenes from Robocop. We'll each pick our favorite. And then he'll lay, lay out action scenes from Terminator. We'll each pick our favorite, and then we will score them and sniper them. We'll start winding everything down. All right, here we go. Action scenes for RoboCop. Got seven. First one is the car chase, which ends in the death of Murphy. So I called that one, Can You Fly, Bobby? I like that one. Number two, RoboCop activated. I called that one, Taking It to the Streets. And that's where he just, it's that montage of him going out and doing all the stuff, you know, the would-be rapists and all that stuff. I thought that was cool. Then number three, when he has the dream and he gets up and he goes rogue and he starts tracking down the villainous crew of Clarence Boddicker. I call that one Rogocop. I like it. All right. Thank you. Number four, the drug house raid. I call that one. I know I'm a cyborg, but I am high as hell right now. <laughs> a lot of cocaine just flying about in that place. <laughs> Trevor Wobbles was a little in trouble. I wanted to push up too. I was supposed to do push ups. Who's got my baby food? Who's got my baby food? Dead or alive, you're coming with me. Let's clean this place up. I just want to clean everything. <laughs> the Robocop on cocaine sketch, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Robocop versus Dick Jones and Ed 209. Called that one, You're a Mean One, Mr. Ed. Number six, 
Robocop versus Boddicker and his crew. And I called that one, and this is an homage to a another Schwarzenegger film, that Clarence Boddicker is a real pain in the neck. And the, <laughs> then number seven is Robocop versus Ed 209 and Dick Jones, the rematch. Okay. I'm calling that Dick's stock is falling. <laughs> I'm not sure I can, you know, sign off on this level of pun in puns and wood. <laughs> so got to yeah. accept it. Just Some make it better than others. You know, you got, got to go through a lot of chaff to get to the wheat. All right. So that's RoboCop. All right. Well, let's uh, let's pick our favorites. Ty, of, of those scenes, what's your favorite action scene in RoboCop? It's got to be the warehouse shootout when, he, like you said, he's just wading through. And that's kind of like peak RoboCop. The score is uplifting as he guns everyone down mercilessly. You know, he's shooting behind his back. He, he smashes Clarence Bodicus through the glass. I think that is when you pay your money for a ticket for RoboCop, you're waiting for that scene. And it's, yeah, probably the high point of the film. Excellent, Jason. Same. I picked the exact same scene for many of the similar reasons. From the moment that that big wooden door just starts getting hammered, you're like, oh, S is about to go down. And then, as Ty said, when you come in and you see RoboCop, and he's not just shooting people up. Like, we've seen that RoboCop can shoot with that mechanical accuracy, but now he's got that human element, that behind the scenes, that cockiness that is he's going through there, just like that lone gunfighter. And, yeah, throwing Clarence Boddicker through a series of glass windows. Fantastic. I'm going to pick the same one. All right. So we're unanimous warehouse scene. Or I know I'm a cyborg, but I'm high as hell right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. What you got on Terminator? Terminator, a little bit leaner. I only got five on this one. Because the first real action scene, I think, is the club fight. I called that one duck and cover charge. Get it? It's a. It's I get it. That's okay. good. It's good time. Number two, the car chase, the squad car chase. I call that one. Apparently, there's free shotguns for everybody, courtesy of the Los Angeles Police Department, because they kept getting their shotguns just ganked out of their unsecured cars. I (laughs) did not know it was that easy to get a shotgun in Los Angeles. Number three, police station raid. I'm not even going to make a pun on that one because that's insult. I just call that one, I'll be back. That's the line was born. Just leave that one alone. Four. Car chase with pipe bombs. I called that one laying pipe. That's <laughs> a double entendre. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and then uh, there's always one that you gotta, gotta give you one. Always one. <laughs> gotta get a little editing thought too. And then the factory final battle. I called that one mechanized warfare. All right. Ty, what was your favorite action scene from Terminator? I think going into this, I would have said the police shootout uh, in the police station. But the more I think of it, it's kind of Sarah's last stand after Reese kind of blows the Terminator in half. And it's just the backing away and just constantly just struggling and fighting as this unstoppable killing machine just keeps coming and coming. So, yeah, the final showdown in the newspaper press factory warehouse thing. Nice. I went with the police station raid. I'll be back. Man, that is just laying waste. To that police station. It's a fantastic action scene. Uh, I had it down between those two as well, but I like the end one too. I think the the tension and the fear of the last one uh, of the the showdown with Sarah is uh, really intense and really engaging. So I went with that. So all we've got to do is some scores. Uh, going back to RoboCop, Jason, we both liked the raid, coked out cyborg, <laughs> and uh, what you liked to the tune of what. I like that one to a tune of an eight. I thought that that's uh, still well above 
average in the, the action genre. Yeah, landed on an eight for me. Yep, same here. Match game. We got match games there. Both on an eight. Let's go to Terminator. You like the police station shootout. Uh, the I'll be back. And I like the final scene. And what'd you score? I think the police station raid is such an iconic scene with that iconic line. I gave it a nine. And I gave the final scene an eight as well. And Ty, unenviable position once again. Which movie do you think had better action scenes? I think simply because of what James Cameron was able to pull off with so little resources, including like shooting a car chase at night without any permits. It's got to be The Terminator. I mean... Robocop was an actual studio film, so they had budget and you could do a proper shootout. But what James Cameron had was relatively very little. So what he manages to do with the the limited resources he had is incredible. Man, that car chase scene is so good. Well, there you have it. Only one round left and it's a pretty quick one. So, Jason. What do we do? We die. It's the deduction round. Time to minus it for things that we find uh, questionable, disheartening. We don't like it. And so I will ask, Jared, are you going to take anything off of RoboCop? No. <laughs> I am, sir. Uh, I'm sorry. Point. It's the military side of me coming out. I don't know where all the bullets go in the RoboCop gun. Oh, I figured that out a long time ago. I can answer that. Go for it. Yeah, because I was always, like, when I was a kid, I was like, what are the He's got- There's a whole, you know, like a Gatling gun is on a track? Mm-hmm. There's a whole track that runs through that arm into the into the clip of the weapon. That's how I explain it. <laughs> then why does he have to change the magazine? Guys, I reloading, yeah. reloading in an action film? That's like kind of <laughs> watching a porn film and going, this is about baby making, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. As a as a veteran, I'm uh, I have issues with these things. It's a chain of ammo that comes through his palm into the into the weapon. <laughs> every, every once in a while, the clip overheats, so that's why I have to change the clip. Okay, I will. <laughs> I will remove my my minus. Then. You can take the minus one if you want. I'm just being silly. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to take it off because uh, your no prize uh, wins. Oh, yes, <laughs> today. Yes. All right. What about uh, Terminator? Anything you can take off for that? I, I'm certain there's other things of that nature in Terminator, but no, I, I have nothing to take away from Terminator. Yeah, same. Level. Ty, you don't have any bullets or deductions or anything, but if you have any grievances that you want to talk about on any of these films? These films are classics for a reason. I feel any grievances I had would be scraping the bottle of the barrel and hitting levels of pedantry that no one wants that's my job i I will just say if anyone is listening and going guys mention the fashion the hair that hair that hair is oh i love big 80s hair blame it on the films i grew up watching i've got i've got a thing for women that look like cindy lauther hey fashion always comes back around so give it five years and we'll be back in style (laughs) well that's the end of our official rounds now, don't you worry if you haven't been keeping up with the math at home, folks. We do that for you here at Action Film Face Off. For those of you doing match game, there was three match games in this episode. And for those of you that want to know how Ty broke down his scores, he gave three bonus points to Robocop and two to the Terminator. I'm going to tell you guys, there's a one-point difference. Whew, the winner of this episode of Action Film Face Off with a score of 91 to 90 is the Terminator.
guys, you can't be mad. You can't be mad. It's, <laughs> I it's, can't. I like I like Robocop a little better, but I can't be mad either. You know what? It's clearly a Sophie's Choice situation. I mean, <laughs> let, let's not compare the trauma that Meryl Streep goes to to picking oh. Robocop or the Terminator, but it's identical. I it, did have tears in my eyes. Yeah, I'm going to compare it. I'm going to compare it. Oh, my goodness. All right. A well, worthy I, winner. A worthy winner. I don't think anyone can be upset with that. No, I'm definitely Even if happy. it had gone the other way, still would have been happy. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, congratulations to the Terminator. Now let's head over to the randomizer and find out what the years are going to be for our next episode. My brother Jared will be pulling a film from... Choose Your Destiny. Nineteen eighty-six, and I will bring a film from. Choose your destiny. Nineteen eighty-three. Boy, two good years. What will those films be? Well, we'll tease them on social media for those of you who want to watch before listening. We're talking to you, Dave. Or you can tune in next episode and jump in cold to find out. Until then. I'm Jason Weaselskull Albrick, and you can find me on social media at Weaselskull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find me, Jared Albrick, the Yard Sale Artist, a.k.a. Death Probe, at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all at Yard Sale Artist, or check out my website, www.theyardsaleartist.com. But everybody wants to know where they can find Ty. Ty, where can they find you? Pimp your works, pimp your medias, pimp it all, Ty. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Timon Singh. That's Simon, but with a T, and then Singh, S-I-N-G-H. You can find my book at borntobebad.co.uk, or it's on Facebook under Born to Be Bad Book. And I think In Search of the Last Action Heroes is on Pluto TV and IMDB TV at the moment. That is according to justwatch.com. So it might be different in your country. That's what it says for the UK. But apart from that, guys, all I can say is thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, it was a worthy winner and a great discussion all around. Man, you've been great. Thanks for being here, and uh, thanks for sharing your insights with us. You have been an absolute blast, sir. Yes. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, so be sure to check out all the shows in the Long Box Crusade umbrella by subscribing to Long Box Crusade on Apple Podcasts, Google Plays, all your finer podcatchers, or directly at www.longboxcrusade.com. You want to send us a question or a comment, you can do that by hitting us up at social media at Longbox Crusade on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On Twitter, you can also go direct to us at AFFO Podcast. Or, this is the best part, if you want to be part of the show, you can call and leave us a voicemail. 707-532-5269. 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. And, of course, you can find our live stream events on YouTube. Just... Subscribe to Longbox Crusade there. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We appreciate you listening. Until next episode, keep your head down and, and your knuckles, knuckles up. up. The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our action film face-off shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it. 